0: Another episode of 30 Minutes with DailyStraits.com. Our guest today, Kat Blackham, is the founder and CEO of Versa, a Melbourne based digital transformation agency that is powered by conversational AI. Today, we're going to catch up with New Zealand born Kat on how she got her start in the business world and some of the challenges she faced in building her company from the ground up thank you so much for joining us today from uh, melbourne thank you for having me how did you get yourself involved in the tech industry so
1: i got involved in the tech industry in uh late 99 so um i guess that was kind of the first and it wasn't so much the tech industry as I guess the the digital or the the web uh industry um, that was kind of starting to grow at that point, and my um, entry in was actually via market research, so I was a market researcher um, for a very big research um, company in London called Total and Software's TNS. And um, they, and I was called by this very small startup in Melbourne um, who were wanting to build an, a panel of internet users to measure kind of top 20 websites in Australia. It was the first time it had ever been done. And they needed someone that had experience of building out panels. And I had that um, in the grocery trade. So that was my kind of build. As I had all of this market research experience, so I went to do market research in the internet, and then from there moved into product and um, worked for the biggest real estate portal and the biggest um, employment portal in Australia. And th- that's kind of where I cut my teeth um, in this industry. Awesome. Okay, so like uh i could see
0: that you had a very good uh working background as a salaried worker before before starting things on your own so you worked with realestate.com.au mm. uh and you you held a very high position there but uh i just wanted to find out why you decided to you know quit and do start your own business
1: yeah look it's a really good question and um one sometimes i ask myself even today June, so um uh, because it isn't easy running your own business. And um the one thing that I have learnt uh over the last eleven years is it actually doesn't get easier. The problems get different, uh are different, um, but it I wouldn't say it gets easier the longer that you um have a business for. But um why I really left is I, I wanted to um Firstly, I wanted to be in control of my own destiny. I was a female. I had a um, a mum. I had a a young um, child. So I had my second um, boy, who is now 12 years old. He was um, 10 months old when I started my business, and so I wanted to um, start a business that really provided flexibility in a very different way. So I actually started the whole company with the premise that I wanted to not change the world, but actually in our industry move the needle a bit in terms of flexibility and diversity and that type of thing so that's why I started the company the fact that it was an agency was almost like that was just what I thought would be the easiest thing to do um, as it turns out it's not very easy running an agency but I at the time because I was the client it seemed quite easy um, from my perspective so so that's why really to be in control of my own destiny to get the flexibility for me, but also to build a company that allowed flexibility flexibility for everybody. So you quit at the helm, right? You
0: was it a, you left a, a well paying job, and yep. did you do a business plan, anything like that, or you just quit and then you and then you started planning?
1: Yeah. So. Uh, actually nobody has ever asked me this so yeah I know I didn't have a business plan but I did have a business plan for another business so when I was on maternity leave with my son so I had 10 months obviously um at home with him I worked with a um uh, somebody who is um very so a guy that was um looking at getting into the aged care space the digital aged care space and so I worked with him for that whole 10 months and building out a business case um to get that business up and running and so that's what I was basically doing with my time then um the GFC hit around that so it was 2009-2010 and um that business just didn't look viable so I was suddenly kind of left with this situation where what I thought I was going to be doing I wasn't doing so I quite suddenly pivoted into starting an agency so I didn't have um I had a bit of capital um saved up kind of you know aka I had some savings it wasn't like I had capital I just had savings um and I um I wasn't earning anything at the time because I was already on maternity leave. So that meant that I didn't feel like I needed to pay myself very much. But I really just started with um, $100,000, I think, as startup capital, and then just got going from there. And it was a very organic process to start with. It was just lots of cups of coffee and tea with um, lots of potential clients until we, we got our first few clients. And then I started building the team out from there. So I'm now much better with building business cases. I just, at that time, I thought that I was going to be doing something completely different. Awesome.
0: So am I correct to say you went on maternity leave and you never went back to full-time work? You started your own business? That's right. right? Yeah, that's exactly what I did. Okay, so you started Dependent Melbourne, right? Is that the first thing you started?
1: Yes, that's right. So a friend of mine, um, Matt Griffin, had... um, he ran Deep End, it's called Deep End Sydney. So it was another, it was the same brand, but he didn't have a, a Melbourne um, to the business. So he approached me and said, we, we were good friends. We had um, worked together previously. And he said, why don't you start a separate business um, called Deep end Melbourne, and then we can refer work to one another, and um, he already knew that there was a bit of work um, they The year that I started deep end Melbourne um, they had one digital agency of the year, so it was a very well regarded brand up in sydney it 's just no one really knew what it was here in melbourne so so that's so that was kind of how it came about as Matt asked me actually to start with I said no because I was working on this aged care portal idea um, with a guy called Peter Scott so I said no that wasn't the right time and then he asked me again a few months later and you know by at that stage it was kind of a bit serendipitous Um, I just decided that I wasn't doing the aged care portal and so I was it it seemed like a really good fit. Could
0: I say you went in call in that business like (laughs) yeah (laughs)
1: <laughs> no, it doesn't sound that smart when when you say it out loud. It really doesn't sound that smart. But at the time, I think a lot of uh, I, I, a lot of people that I speak to that start their own business, you know, you can have a business plan as much as you like, um, and you can think about what it's going to be, and and that is a sensible way to go. But anyone that started a business knows that everything that you plan and think is going to happen doesn't really happen how you think it's going to happen because it's just you, until you actually get in there and start talking to people about your idea of how what you want to do and start trying to you just don't um, you just you don't really realize um, how um, difficult it's going to be until you get in and then you have all of these things that you have to um, navigate so building a business plan it's hard to build a plan for that. That's for sure. Awesome, that's
0: great advice. Okay, so this was in two thousand and ten, dependent Melbourne, and then you started it, and it became really big. And then in twenty seventeen, you started Versa. So what was what happened there? Like, why the? Yeah. COVID? So
1: look, I spend um, not at the moment I don't, but normally I spend a chunk of time in the US every year, um, going to South by Southwest and other conferences to make sure that I. Um, stay up to date basically with what's going on in the market and one of the things in 2016 and 2017 that I really noticed in the US was this rise of um, of voice as a, as a way of um, machines and humans speaking to one another um, and, and as an interface, if you like, and also conversational design, so bots, et cetera. So it was kind of going nuts in the US and it hadn't come to Australia at all yet. So I saw an opportunity. Um, I, I tell the story a lot of the fact that when I was at realestate.com.au, I was the person, I was the head of product I was on the leadership team and I I was the person that said I don't think that apps as in phone apps were going to be a thing and you know we all know that I was grossly wrong and so when I saw this new trend come I saw it for what it was and in my gut I knew that it was going to be huge and so I just started a voice agency on on the understanding that i I believed that um Amazon and Google would come to Australia eventually, and they they did eight months later okay, so what happened inpend is he still going or? so I actually ended up, so that was in two thousand and seventeen. I had two separate companies, and then in two thousand and nineteen the the voice business was doing really well, and um I decided to buy my business partner out so i um Matt, who I was talking about before was um was involved in my business up until two thousand and nineteen, and so in early two thousand and nineteen I bought him out and I merged versa the business the voice business and um, deep end together to create a, a one basically consulting business really focused around conversational ai
0: okay so what was the initial investment needed? start an agency because it was a combination of the old business did you need to fork out any money for the pivot
1: um so in terms of versa actually we probably invested more in versa than we did starting deep end right uh, 11 years ago so um i created a company there was five people in it um and we kind of built it up there was quite a big investment to start with because there was no work around for the first kind of five to six months. So I probably invested a couple of hundred thousand um, initially. um, And then um, we've kind of just grown it from there. So it hasn't needed any additional, specifically any additional um, investment. I think the biggest investment that I've ever made, um, and it still remains to be seen whether it was a good investment or not, is I decided in... um, at the back end of 2019 and early 2020 to expand into um, the US, um, Singapore and um, India, Mumbai. And so um, that hasn't gone so well for me over COVID, as you can imagine, Um, but that was a huge investment for us. So we built teams and we had a team of five in um, the US and that was at a really tough time um we had one person in Singapore and we've got a team of about four or five in Mumbai so that's been a big investment for us and and there's I've need to I've needed to have a lot of self-belief um to kind of make that investment because there's a lot of roadblocks that um like stand in your way when it comes to international expansion so the um The benefits are massive, but the risk is really big as well. So that's probably the biggest. We've probably invested um, just over a million dollars in our uh, international kind of expansion.
0: Back to Versa, um, when you decided to merge it and start anew and buy your partner out, did you have a client waiting? Or it was, uh, again, a gut feeling because you went to the U.S. and saw the
1: yeah so because i had merged deep end and versa together they were now just one agency we all we had some really um i mean we already we still have one of our oldest clients is, um, has been with us for 11 years so we had all of those existing client relationships plus we had all of the um their relationships that versa or the voice clients that we were working with and we've got long-standing relationships now with Red Cross and um, Pampers and so both in the US and in Australia so we already had this base of work so it wasn't that wasn't so much of the risk the risk was in the international expansion I would say rather than because we what we didn't have was a really good body of work and clients in those markets so and and actually the most difficult market we have found is Singapore. Funnily enough, um, because it's a it's a very hard market to if you're not from Singapore or you don't live in it's actually quite a hard market to break into. And everybody told me that, but um, I went there anyway. And and look we've we've had some really good experiences over there, but it's much much harder than it it at, at first it seems like it's going to be very easy, and it's actually not as easy as you think. Awesome. Okay.
0: Could I just ask you, what con uh, conferences were you attending in the US? Was it CES?
1: Um, yep, so South by Southwest, CES, um Uh, I have been to um, there's a couple of very specific um, voice um, the voice summit um, in New York I go to every year so there's just but my main actual the main conference that I like to go to to keep up to date with what's going on is actually South by Southwest in Austin so I I go there every single year Um, and it's it's not it is about the content it is about going to the conference but it's also about who you speak to, um, you know, meeting up with people, hearing what they're doing. So it's, I mean, there's four hundred thousand people a year, so that go to South by Southwest every year. Which, so it's absolutely massive, okay, and it's full of people that are just really passionate about digital and wanting to um, push the boundaries of what's possible. So it's all about. Um, I go to the startup. Um, conference and talk to all the startups about what they're doing and that's how you kind of find out what that next big thing's going to be
0: okay um coming to that right right now you can't travel so how do you keep up with all the changes in the digital and tech industry do you read anything specific to
1: get the link um i just i i am a prolific um linkedin so i just make sure that i've got the right people that i'm following on linkedin Um, who then lead me to the right um, article so I'm a prolific reader Um, I listen to um, and in fact I I was going to say I listen to lots of podcasts but I do the podcasts that I listen to tend to be more around the business side of things so I've got some really specific um, uh, podcasts I listen to around building a better business having a more so that that tends to be what i do from a podcasting perspective Um, and then i still make sure that i go to um you know all the conferences at the moment in the us are um they are live but online um but you can often also get access to them afterwards so you don't have to be up during the night so i'm always trying to um watch as many um, webinars as i can and that type of thing so i kind of see that as my role is to make sure that I'm just immersing myself in as much content as I possibly can. Awesome. Okay, so AI integration means
0: companies would be less dependent on human workers. Do you agree that,
1: or can both exist hand in hand? Yeah, so it's a really good question. I I really am very passionate about this. So I'm I believe um, that where machines fit in it's about augmentation not automation so people talk about automation which is really replacing humans with machines um and and i i for one don't um want or envisage a world where you know everything is done by machines and we're being the world's being run by machines i don't i don't think that anyone really in the know thinks of that you know humans are humans are still in charge and humans are still going to continue to be we're the ones that feed the machines the information that they need so but what I do think the opportunity um, where I do think the opportunity is is an augmentation so if you're a, um, a call center for example and you've got um, a call, uh, somebody um, sitting in your call center speaking to a customer a human is only able to have kind of one linear conversation. So when I'm having a conversation with you, I can't, my brain is just not fast enough to go and think, okay, so you asked me a question and and I and I can go back and think about you know, what did I do last year, et cetera. But I'm, I'm, I can't do it like a computer can do it. So a computer can, in a nanosecond, look at every record, every discussion, every um, touch point that that customer has ever had with the brand or the um, company, and they can then help that customer service person to be better. So they can be making suggestions, and this is what I mean by augmentation, is the customer service person can be talking human to human, but in front of them, the machine is giving them um, recommendations on, oh, you should recommend that they... um, by this product, because I can see that they've been, you know, they've been looking at these products for the last few months and, you know, things that the human just wouldn't have time to be able to to go and do. So for me, it's not so much that um, we're going to become less dependent on human workers. I think humans are going to have a different role in um society and and um in businesses moving forward and the things that as humans we don't like to do that's the bits that um or the things that we can't do um those are the bits that the machines will take over from
0: all right back to your company who are some of your clients um uh, in the Tasman and overseas yeah so um
1: we have a really so when we When we first started out, um, our client base was actually reasonably um, narrow, so we worked with lots of not-for-profits and lots of government clients. Um, we had some brands, some um, big FMCG brands, and but mostly it was in the government and not-for-profit space. What we've seen as we start working in the um, conversational AI space is that our our client base is widening out. So we work with ANZ, we work with Coca-Cola, you know, so big um, Australian brands as well. But the, the work that I'm probably most proud of and um, the... Uh, the biggest work, if you like, in terms of the biggest impact still remains that government work. So over COVID, we did a huge amount of work with um, Victorian government in really helping um, take the pressure off the phone lines by building bots to so that people could find out where the testing centres were, um, were, helping people check out of hotels using bots when they were in um, isolation. Um, so all of those kind of things, um, do, working with city councils to make it easier for their constituents to get information, those big platform digital transformation builds still remain a core part of who we are. We just, have, we, we just believe that um, the best sort of website or app is where you can have a two-way conversation with a client. Awesome. So, who are your competitors? So, this is not as an easy a question as you would. So, we definitely have a competitor um, competitors in the big four consulting firms. So, Deloitte are a reasonably big competitor of ours. Um, The others tend to work with us, but that that's at that space. We don't, there's not really any other agencies at our size that compete with us directly. So we have found ourselves in a a spot um, that is very specific and very specialised, but doesn't have very many, if any, competitors. So there's a few um, companies that do. Um, A couple of um, advertising agencies that do a little bit of what they do, a bit of voice work, for example, but no one that really sits apart from those big four, particularly Deloitte um, Digital, who do, um, they do a fair bit of conversational AI. Um, Apart from that, we haven't seen any big competitors come out of the woodwork yet. Awesome. Okay.
0: So you made headlines, um, is it, was it two years ago for giving your workers Wednesdays off, hum day off. So that is, um, that trial has come out successful and it's been two years now. So, um, I just wondered if you had an update on that and if you had any other new initiatives for your company in the pipeline.
1: Yeah. So, um, oh we are still doing um the four day week as we call it um it's really um post covid it has become a um probably more of a flexi day rather than um i used to be quite hard lined about people taking wednesdays off um so we used to close the office on a wednesday and we still do do that um, so people don't come in on a Wednesday, but then they don't have to come in any day if they don't want to these days. Um, but what um, these days people tend to uh, maybe do a couple of hours in the morning on a Wednesday if they want to, <clears throat> so they don't have to do quite as many hours during the week. But we still have most of the agency taking some sort of flexible um doing some sort of flexible hours on a Wednesday Um, and it is it is I can't even tell you how successful it's been in terms of a mental health initiative in terms of a recruitment I mean we still remain um, today a really really strong employment brand in this market because we've got this differentiator so I think it we've won on all ways we are um you know we're a better company because of it where um, we attract better talent because of it um, and that remains um, today and our team are healthier because they have that kind of um, release valve if you like in the middle of the week.
0: So they uh, paid 38, uh, 38 hours a
1: full-time salary or Yes, so so our team do the thirty seven point five hours, but they just do it over um, four days, not five. Oh. So that's what I mean. If they if they don't want to do slightly longer days, they can um, do a, a couple of hours on a Wednesday morning. So some people choose to do that, um, but generally speaking, most people would at least have the afternoon off um, to be able to do the life admin so in terms of your second question was around what next um, and uh, like uh, it's hard to follow that I can tell you Um, but I would really love to disrupt the way that clients and agencies work together and so that's what has been going through my mind recently is um how can we do it differently how can that relationship between um the company um where is it whether it's the marketing team or the it team and the agency how can that relationship be better and how can the pricing model work better for both sides so i think if we're going to try and disrupt again um in our industry that's the area that will will definitely but i've always got like anyone that knows me i'm pretty crazy when it comes to this stuff so I've always got a hundred ideas of things luckily for me I've actually got a team who keep me a little bit grounded because I think if I was left to my own devices we'd be doing something new every day which would be terrible for everybody apart from me
0: so okay what about taking your company public listed would that
1: be in the pipeline wow um so this one is relatively easy for me because i actually and we haven't talked about it today because it was it, it, it's a big long story in itself but i was involved just before i went on maternity leave so after realestate.com.au, i was involved in a um a startup um and we raised um we took the company public and raised 42 million dollars on the Australian Stock Exchange. And I can tell you um, that um, it was the hardest thing I've ever done um, and it really gave me an appreciation. Um, so that, so I've now worked with, um, because realestate.com.au was also publicly listed and I was on the leadership team there as well. So I, I know how hard it is to A, have a company that is listed on the stock exchange and just the the um reporting and um what you have to do for the market if you're if you're listed so it's the fiduciary kind of responsibility goes through the roof um but i also um i love having my own business where um where i can make decisions and that i'm not worried about other shareholders and giving them value I can actually you know it goes back to what I said right at the start um, of us speaking is I started the business to make a difference I didn't start the business to necessarily line my own pockets or um, make millions of dollars it was it was because I wanted to kind of walk away from my career and go yeah I I, I did something different that made a difference to um, the industry and I've left the the workforce in a better place than when i start when i started the business and if i listed the business i wouldn't be able to do that so that's a very long way of saying i would be very doubtful never say never but i cannot see myself listing um uh versa at any uh a point i think i would prefer to join forces with someone um and have them list to be honest it just is so much work walking up and down collins street at like just convincing investors to invest in your business and stuff it is not for the faint-hearted like and putting yourself out there to do that is also incredibly nerve-wracking like companies make it look really easy and it's really not so i know too much i think yeah. that's what i'm trying to say
0: Okay, and that is all the time that we have for today. We have just been speaking to Kat Blackman, the CEO and founder of Versa.
1: Thank you, Kat, for joining us today. Thank you so much for having me. It was lovely to meet you.